podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai, and welcome to the Danny Batten Fight Show, episode number 20, and our first live show as well, which is going to be fun. We're going to talk uh, the UFC Jacksonville from last night, uh, but just before I introduce my guests, a little bit of housekeeping. You can find all of our shows uh, on youtube.com slash Nation. If you could subscribe, that'd be doing us a massive uh, massive favour. That's the best way to support the channel and uh, and all the different series we do. We do shows on mental health, football, films, TV, conspiracy theories, you name it. We do it, MMA, boxing. Uh, we've also got My Story, which is a series where we take actors, fighters, writers, bands through their careers and stories, Unscripted and Uncensored, where we have uh, all sorts of guests. And we basically leave all the questions up to you guys, uh, which are always a lot of fun. We've had what feels like every Cage Warriors fighter there ever has been Uh but, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of fighters, actors, we've had a band, we've had some uh, footballers, all sorts of people. And uh, one of the one of the guests for Unscripted Uncensored was my co-host, as usual, Mr. Danny Batten, the former Cage Warriors champion, UK MMA legend. How are you, sir? Yes, I'm good, sir. Indeed, yeah. You did an Unscripted Uncensored, didn't you? You were still, I think, the most downloaded audio episode Still, still holding on to that uh, that title, just about. I think there's a couple yeah. catching you. I'll take that. Take that, <laughs> indeed. Um, and I also had uh, on unscripted and uncensored UFC fighter, Mr. Jack Shaw. So, introducing my special guest this evening is head coach at Shaw MMA, top MMA trainer, Mr. Richard Shaw. How are you, sir? I'm all right, say all right, Dan. I thought he was going to introduce me as Jack's dad. Then that's why no, 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 I'm not going on identity anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> Top coach in your own right, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we're all good, buddy. Ah, Dealing sorry. with the madness, but uh, we're getting through it. But that's it, mate. Just, uh, just kind of, it's almost become the norm now, isn't it? Just to kind of just get on with it and just in lockdown forever. I think. Um, so obviously this uh, past Tuesday we had my Danny and myself and we had our special guest Brett Johns and we broke down uh, UFC 249 and I get the feeling that uh, Richard would have rather rather have covered that show but uh, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but Richard, what did you think of UFC 249? Just overall thoughts. Um, as in the on, on Saturday 249. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was some brilliant fights from. Um... From the undercard, you know, Cerrone and Pettis headlined the the undercard. I think that would have warranted a main event on, on some of the shows, and I, I think it was a brilliant fight. Uh, the, the main cards, I, I just think it had everything, didn't it? You know, from, from start to finish. And, and it's just nice to see some MMA back. You know, I know they've had a lot of criticism for, for running with it, but I think, you know, these guys got in a living, and... Uh, they're fit and healthy, and I think that you know there was enough precautions and safety in place at the event that if you want to do it, you know you're grown grown adults in a 
a confined and um, considered area. You know, let, let them get on with it. You know, we, we need some sport. We need a bit of normality in these crazy times. So I was all for it. Yeah, I think the main, you know, as long as they can make it as safe as possible. And I think um, just generally like life, whether it's sport or people, people need to get back to work. Um, we were just talking about, you know, off air about like the your your respective gyms and academies and stuff. You know, you you want to get back to work and back training, and if we can get back to some level of normality with some restrictions in place, then I'm kind of all for it. But yeah. um, I just wonder whether the people who've t- kind of taken the mick over the last couple of weeks maybe have prolonged it a bit longer for us all, but we'll see. Um, so I'm going to ask, uh, before we get into it, I wanted to ask you both a question, really, which was, uh, as coach, Danny, have, uh, have any of your fighters ever handed you their teeth during a fight? No, no, no. I've never had that situation entirely, but um, you know, I've ha- had them hand me other things. Um, there was a situation where we had a female fighter and... Um, you know, uh, it, it was something like only a second ever fight. So there was a lot of nerves there. And when she come back to the corner, we did notice that towards the latter part of that first round, she was gagging a few times. And, um, yeah, when she come back to the corner, she said she was going to be sick. And um, I had to promptly catch it in my hand so it didn't go onto the oh, cage. So we didn't have any. Uh, yeah, that was that was something that got handed to me. I wasn't too happy about. But you got to do what you got to do. I, I stuffed it all in a towel. Um, and we carried on on our way. Luckily, she didn't uh, ejaculate anything else at me uh, after that. That's grim. Um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. What about you, Richard? Ever, ever had you, anyone hand you some teeth? We, I, I, I had a lad who used to fight for me, Chris Morgan, uh, Ginger, um, proper old school guy from, from, from when we first started the team. Uh, and I say to this day, Ginger, not the best fighter in the world, but one of the, one of the hardest men you're ever going to meet. You know, you could dish in punishment. And we fought down in Bridge End, and he, he got absolutely leathered, if I'm honest. He, he, he took an absolute piercing from start to finish of the fight. But he, he was one of them guys that nobody could ever seem to put away, just eat, eat the punishment. So the final bell goes, and um, I, you probably know Kevin Reed, Danny. Yeah, he was refereeing. Yeah. Kevin Reed is a, a respected pro MMA fighter. <laughs> he comes across, he says, Shake, is this your fighter's teeth? And he's got two teeth in his hand. I go, Ginger, you had your teeth knocked out? He goes, I ain't sure about it. You know, I was talking. Open his mouth and, yeah, sure, God, two, two of his teeth had come out. He hadn't even realised and the, the ref had picked <laughs> him up off the cage floor. So, not necessarily the fight they gave him either. The ref did at the end of the bout when he was doing an inspection of the cage. Excellent. I like it. But, um, yeah, well, obviously, we'll get on to the, the Anthony Smith and uh, Glover, I can't pronounce his surname, uh, Tixera, uh main event, which was, you know, that was quite a good fight, actually. But, um yeah, it's not something I've seen before. It was uh, the teeth, but um, we, so we're going to just talk about the the main card. Uh, so starting off was Michael Johnson and Thiago uh, Moises. Um, overall, Danny, what do you think of this fight? And then tell me a bit about round number one. Yeah, uh, Thiago and uh, Johnson was um, really good fight. Um, Thiago never really was unable to to. To get started, really, um, Johnson was coming out really, really sharp. He was in southpaw, um, which could always change things up when you're in opposite stances. Uh, but Johnson was looking amazing. Um, Thiago was trying to shoot in on that lead leg, 
but Johnson was stripping it back really nice. You, you know his intentions were to stand on the feet. Um, it, it was just looking really good. It looked like he was really well prepared. Um, yeah, it felt like Thiago was perhaps waiting on the counter. That counter just wasn't bringing itself to to be able to come out to play for him. It was a, looked quite a frustrating round for Thiago. Well, uh, what about you, Richard? What did you make of that first round? Yeah, I mean, J- Johnson's a, he's a dangerous fight for anyone, isn't he? But, uh, you know, he's predominantly a wrestler, which makes him so dangerous as a striker, doesn't he? Because, you know, it's a difficult job putting him on his back. But I felt that, the, you know, uh, Moise's corner team, they, they banged it, you know, they had a bang on it at the end of the first round and said he needed with the single, which he came out and he done. And, uh to be honest, it's a dangerous old game when you play uh, sit back in the guard, isn't it? You, play, you know, play the inverted and come up with the Della Riva from an, a, underneath and go the footlock. But um, to pull that off against somebody of Johnson's calibre, it was a brilliant submission. I don't know. I haven't seen the performance of the night. Did he? Did he pick up a, a performance of the night for that? Do any, any of you got that in front of you? Uh, I don't. I'll put it up now though because uh, I'll be interested to know that because it was. Yeah, I'd be interested because... to see because for me it was a bit of a lack. You know, it wasn't the most exciting card from Stanford. There were some good, you know, good fights on there, but for me, somebody to take a chance at a single, come underneath somebody and elevate him and look for a footlock, you, you don't see it very often at the the upper tier of MMA. So, props to him for pulling off the submission. As as Danny said, he was up against it in round one, so he, he has pulled it out of the bag there. Yeah, no, uh, it's not the first time in the night where the first round has gone one way, and then maybe the fight the late latter part of the fight has gone uh, the other way. Um, but just while I pull up the performances of the night, uh, <coughs> Alan Jones uh, says, Richard, silly question, maybe, but uh, why are you nicknamed Shaky? <laughs> it's a bit of an anti-climax. I was, I was 15 years of age and uh, one of the local businessmen took a bit of pity on me and gave me a job collecting glasses in the, the busiest pub in Abertillery where I'm from. So I used to turn up for six quid a night, collect glasses and uh, and wash them and put them back on the shelves. And one night a barman didn't turn up, so they said, you're going to have to go behind the bar, and it doesn't seem a big deal. But when I was 15, I was, it was a terrifying thought. I was behind the bloody bar, I was bloody shaking like a leaf. And all the regulars started going, oh, shaky, I'll have a pint of lager, shaky, I'll have a pint of beer. And with, with that, a group of, um, you know, the Appalachian Youth Rugby team came in at the time, I was a bit older than me, but they knew me, and they started it, and it just escalated from there then. It, um, so it's, it's, it's not an exciting story, but that, that's where it's come from. A, a group of drunks at a bar calling me shaky when I was 15 years of age and I've never been able to get rid of the nickname. Stuck. That's, that, that's what hell of a stick to stick that long from age 15. <laughs> it's good after. I, 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 owned, I owned a pub once and uh, the phone goes on the end of the bar and one of the regulars picked the phone up and he goes, Hello, yeah, um, no, no, nobody, nobody, nobody there by that name and put the phone out. I said, Dad, who are they after? I go, they're after somebody called Richard. He said, I said, it's yeah. me. He said, I thought your name was Shaky. <laughs> I like it. I, yeah, for, I, same, funny enough, I was the same. I started working in a bar, uh, the local pub, like, and I was working in the restaurant, and then I had to go on the bar, age 15. And uh, I was called Turbo because I was too slow, basically. I was just like at my own pace as a teenager. But there you go. Um, so, fight of the night was the. Uh, let's have a look. So, Drew Dober, uh, he had the, the finish of the night. What is it? Yeah. Perform- performance of the night, sorry. Uh, and same for Glover, got that as well. 
And then fight of the night went to the featherweight match. I think that was on the pre-show. Was it uh, Brian Keller and Hunter Azure? Yeah, but oh, Keller normally fights a bantamweight. The um, he, he was he he was the first name we were given when Jack made his debut, which we accepted. But the fight never came to fruition for whatever oh, reason. Ah, so yeah, no, so they didn't uh, they didn't give out um, performance of the night or anything for the for that submission, which is a shame because uh, yeah, very, very good good finish. Um, so yeah, Moises, the second round didn't last very long. 25 seconds. Um, Moises immediately shot down, dragged him down, and he uh, applied a beautiful little ankle lock, and away we go. Um, it, it'd yeah, be so- interesting to see where Michael Johnson goes from here, because yeah, I think he's going to be one of these fighters, what I call a marker, where if you're looking for that top 15 spot, that's going to be the type of level fight that you're going to need. And so... Yeah, I don't know what his contract is or what money he's earning. You know, if he's if he's if he's on a decent contract, but I think he's he's lost a, probably lost a couple now on a bounce. I think haven't he as well? So he might yeah. he might be at risk of being cut as well. Yeah, it's a good uh, good win for uh, Moises uh, because he can you know he can push on and hopefully get you know get a ranked fighter now in the next fight and try and push on a bit because mm. to, to to have a strong finish like that, uh, Danny is you can't can't ask much more of him, can you? Yeah, yeah, no, he's done really well. Um, just touching on Johnson, I've had a couple of my students that, uh, you know, one of them does extensive training or had done for many years with Johnson. And uh, another one of my students um, had a brief training camp out there uh, training with him. And one of the things that they said, you know, his striking is really good, his wrestling is really good, but he had no regard for the ground. Mm-hmm. He he's sort of that wouldn't turn up for the grappling classes. He was just like there to, to bang, um, to avoid the takedown. And, and you saw it there. I mean, that leg locks up. Everyone's yeah. becoming, um, you know, pretty well versed in leg locks. Or for most people have been. Um, he should have stopped that foot cutting over to the hip because you already had the other foot hooking the leg, and yeah. and that that stopped his exit to stand up and twist out. He 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 didn't. I don't I actually don't think he knew how to avoid it being locked in. Um, he should have been keeping that foot from going across his hip, um, standing up and stripping out, but. He did no such thing. He was kind of a little bit lost there, really. He just did an old school method, which was trying to stamp the foot to the ground, um, not allowing it to be elevated to bring it into a Achilles or a heel hook. But, you know, that's not enough these days. Um, yeah. So that was a little bit disappointing, really. I think it's such a shame because had he had a love for MMA in its entirety, meaning the ground aspect as well, I think he had the potential to be a real standout. But, yeah, it, unless you're going to love all aspects of MMA, you can't make it just being a striker or just being a grappler. You've got to be truly all-rounded. Yeah, agreed. So, um, Richard, just very briefly, with that the submission move, the, the ankle lock at the end, is that it? Once he's locked that on, is that difficult for him to get out of? If he's you know, as Danny said, it's 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 getting yourself out there, not allowing him to get himself in a position. For example, he allowed him to to reap the leg over, which locked the leg out. He didn't strip the foot off. Um, and once it's tight, you know, it was. I, I thought he was going to look for a heel out, but he went straight leg, I think, Dan, didn't he? He went yeah, belly down. Yeah, he did. He went belly and, down on it. And, and you don't, you know, you don't see at the higher the higher leagues a lot of straight leg lock submissions. So, as you said, I think it's probably a little bit of disregard for the ground game, man. Um, it's a nice bit of insight for me because I, I, I've often wondered... Uh, whether he is addressing the grappling when he's so good at wrestling and striking, sometimes you find that yeah. the, they have that little bit of you know fa- 
false confidence of oh well they, they won't get me down but the guy pulled guard and, and done a number on him so props to Moises on that yeah 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 it's a good adjustment Tiago made because he was just shooting um, for a single, but the adjustment he made on that second attempt was he shot in deep as if to attempt to double and then collected up the single off of the double. Yeah. But I think when he was shooting for that single, it wasn't deep enough and he was getting a lead leg strip. But because he shot deep on that hit, uh, potentially getting the double, it, he, he had to just do a normal sprawl, which he was able to then pick up the leg. Um, yeah. So you know, whether that was a planned adjustment or it just the way it fell, it doesn't matter. The fact is that he had one opportunity to win and he took it and got it with first attempt. Fair play yeah, to Diego. Yeah. Very thorough, Seb, I've got to be honest. Uh, so next up was uh, Andre Alos- Alosky versus uh, Philippe Linz. Uh, Richard, what did you make of this first round for this? Well, all three rounds were boring, if I'm honest. I think it, um, it, it no, it did. It reminded me of um, like a technical spar in, in, in the gym. I don't think, I think Oloski, again, is another one of these fighters. He's always dangerous because he can knock you out with a with a shot. So, you know, his opponents turn up and, uh, and are not rushing in. But at the same time, I, I think through his experience, he, he can technically outbox somebody now without actually rushing in and looking for a finish. But, um, no, I, I was a bit disappointed because uh, Lin, Lin was the guy's name, wasn't it, that he fought? He came yeah. in with a bit of a reputation, so I was expecting a bit of a barn burner. But um, it, it, was, it, it looked to me like a nice technical three rounds of, of stand-up. So uh, I wasn't impressed, if I'm honest. I'm sorry to sound rude if that comes across. <laughs> but it's, well, it's, uh, got to give your opinion, haven't you, at the end of the day? Um, yeah, they could have you know, I... And there was no mix-up in it either, was there? There, was, there wasn't a lot of grappling or wrestling exchanges. It was, it was predominantly a kickboxing match for three rounds. Yeah, there wasn't a great deal to it. What did you think, uh, Dan? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I can understand. You know, it wasn't great viewing for the MMA you know, purist because um, it was all just pretty much standing. No one really wanted yeah. it or intended it for it to go to the ground. Um, you know, Linz did impress me with his fluidity of his combinations, but he, he seemed to have to always wait for Oloski to, to come forward to get it off. He, although he stalked very well, he, did, didn't, he didn't actually stalk forward and actually initiate any of his own attacks. He was playing very much counter. Um, yeah. So sometimes Oloski stayed in the pocket a little bit too long in that first round and he got tagged up. Um, he, he, you know, he managed to you know, not get knocked down. But um, the first round I gave to Linz on the fact that you know, he did get off some tidy combinations – um, and Oloski was playing a different strategy as well. You know, he was really switching stances, um, and and uh, you know, coming in with a southpaw stance at times to do a step through jab or or yeah. a step through crosshand, however you want to name it. That was a little unusual. Obviously, it's something that he planned to do against Linz, because um, if anyone knows of Linz, you know, he had a really really good career before coming up to UFC, and and clearly got tidy hands. Um, but yeah, that first round I gave to Linz. Yeah, it was a little frustrating. It weren't seeing something else in the mix, such as grappling. Uh, they was getting into brief wrestling uh, exchanges, but breaking free from there, both clearly wanting up yeah. on their feet. Um, and, and the issue you, you can have really with these heavyweights, although they're technically you know very very uh, tidy, uh, they're just not uh, as vibrant and exciting to watch as someone like Johnson. No. You know, as soon as you go sort of get to welterweights and below, some of that striking can get quite flamboyant. You know. It wasn't quite so. Um, I still found it interesting to watch, really, just because of the strategists that were out to play. That was the thing that interested me. But, yeah, as a viewer's point of view, um, yeah, it could have been a little bit boring. I agree with that. 
I, I think that they, the heavyweight should have in their contract that they've got to approach the fights like Engano did on Saturday. And then, <laughs> then everybody's going to be happy. Somebody's going to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's the way. <laughs> Best ones to watch. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. It didn't, um, it didn't really improve uh, as the rounds went on. Did... Oh. Um, I, I felt nobody pressed for the finish. You know, yeah. I, 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 I always encourage my guys, you don't rush, but, you know, you should always be looking for that finish, whether it's a KO, TKO or submission. And, and I just felt both were happy, to, you know, to as Danny said, last year caught a couple of times in the first round. I felt second and third then. It was just a, a tentative approach from both guys. Mm. Yeah, there wasn't um, a great deal to it. Did you have... Uh... Aloski, uh, Aloski winning. Uh, it, it was it was close. I, I, I had Lynn's first round, and I, you could argue Aloski pinched two and three. Well, you Dan, same. Yeah, I, I agree with that totally. Yeah, I felt like Aloski um, had sort of like figured out with his experience, and and the, and the good thing is, you know, the, the, again, the interesting interesting thing for me is the strategy. Aloski has been in a lot of hard fights. Uh, you know, he's an aging competitor compared to Lynn's. He can't go at that vigorous pace. And I think he realised the danger was always coming when he stayed in the pocket too long. Um, he kept it to singles, uh, doubles, strike combinations. He didn't go to stay in too long. And I think that's what nipped it, really. The fact that Linz, yeah. although he had good stalking capability, didn't have great attacking uh, capability. And he was left uh, receiving on the outside. And so when he did shine, it was just a little, um, a little too little throughout the whole duration of a five-minute round. And Oloski was just steadily scoring throughout much of the rounds. And, um, yeah, that's why I gave Oloski the nod on the next two rounds after that. Um, I just think, overall, you, you're going to see Linz come through and shine if he learns from this sort of experience. Um, he's got to learn to use those really good combinations in a way where he can initiate the attacks as well um, to stop something like this happening where he fights a veteran that can come with yeah. a lot of different tactics and, and strategies. Um, but well done I mean, to Oloski. Yeah. I, I, I feel down on it, but, you know, Linz came in, like, as you said, a, a really good career outside of the UFC, but, uh, you know, a bit of a reputation coming in. For me, Oloski is the type of fighter now, he's on the, the tail end of his career, that's the sort of fights you've got to be winning. You know, if you've got aspirations of becoming a top five or a champion, that's the type of fight you should be going in and being confident that you've, you you can win that fight. Well, you know, not not necessarily finish, but at least win that fight. And I don't think he pressed and done enough, you know, to, to push forward and win that fight rounds two and three. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I think so. Um, okay, what was next? We had uh, uh, Ricky Simone versus Ray Borg. Now, I actually I enjoyed this one because there was some uh, some real good grappling and uh, some good stuff. Uh, well, what did you think of this one, Richard? Yeah, I enjoyed I enjoy that. I've, I always enjoy watching Simone. He's um, he's exciting, isn't he? He's a good wrestler. He, he's explosive. He, he he tags you up on the feet. Again, the only thing I'm going to say about Simone, um, the amount of dominance he gets with the takedowns on the ground. You know, the last week, for me, that was a fight that that. He had enough opportunities here, I think, to finish. You know, he had a good, good enough good positional dominance in three rounds against Borg. You, you know, he took him down a will, didn't he? You know, when, when he wanted him down, he got him down. Um, but, it, you know, Borg's a wily old character. Um, is, is Borg fighting at 60, at the uh, bantamweight regular? He, he, he's had a lot of fights at um, flyweight Borg, hasn't he? Yeah, but the, I think 
the last three, I think, or maybe even four. He's, he's come up, yeah. He was missing white, wasn't he? Yeah, right. I'm bogus. I'm someone that I want. I always want to do well. You know, the story with his um, uh, his child not being well, and uh, yeah, in it, uh, you know, look look for funding to support that, and you know, he missed out on the fight when when Connor threw the bloody chair through the bus window, didn't he? Yeah. Had glass in the eye and and all that. So he's someone I wanted to well, but it was a bad match. I think you know, Simone's a tough fight for anyone in that division. Um, because he's very, very good at what he does. He's very good at pressing the pace. He's quite happy to engage in the strikes. Um, he'll, he'll hit a takedown. And, and, and you know, uh, the commentary said several times, you could just see the difference. You know, I think it was Daniel Comey saying about the difference, in, you know, what looked like a, a difference in strength when they were in their exchanges on the floor as well. Yeah, I, R- Ricky Simone is really game, uh, whether it's on the feet or on the ground. Um, and you've got to be very, very good to get one over on him. Uh, dangerous, Dan- dangerous for anyone. Doesn't matter yeah. if you're right. It's a dangerous fight for anyone in that division. Oh, yeah. Uh, Danny, what did you make of this one? Yeah, I was really excited for this one because I've been impressed with Ray Borg in the past. Um, and when I saw this was a matchup that was going to be on on the card, I was um, you know, really unsure who was going to you know, really take the dominance. But, yeah, it, it quickly became apparent that Simone was going to be the one that was a little crisper in the beginning with his striking, could put his combination of striking into takedowns really well. He's really changing levels. And, you know, Ray Borg's got a pretty decent wrestler in his own right. Yeah. So he was defending yeah. the first takedown attempt, but then was getting switched up into, you know, second and third. The chain of takedowns was just so clever. Um, he, he's know, very good with the pressure, Dan, isn't he? He just keeps chasing absolutely. that takedown. Yeah, he's really Yeah, nice. yeah. He was a physically strong guy, clearly. Um, but I absolutely agree. It was really well observed by uh, Richard there that, you know, he had so much time in potential dominant positions. Um, yeah, he just lacks a little little finishing capability. Yeah, Perhaps doesn't yeah. open up the ground of found so effectively. Um, if you have a look at some of his ground of pound opportunities, he was really down low trying to keep control. Yeah. It might be the case that that's that weight division. Um, maybe they're just so wriggly that they can't posture up like they can in the other weight division. So it might be a case of different weight divisions, the opportunities to, fish in, uh, to finish come alike more so in the sort of like the uh, lightweights to middleweights and these 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 sort of weight divisions that they're so lively and fast but yeah, yeah you would think that you'd be able to find a finish with the amount of time they had in dominant positions yeah. but Ray's a tricky customer you know he's he's very very high level in all areas but what impressed me with Ray Borg was that he started really coming to life with his uh, combinations of strikes. He started really ripping to the body. Yeah. I think if he just deployed that strategy in that first round, he may have, may have had a chance to perhaps um, get some successes, which may have turned the tide. But I think you know, he lost that first round quite big. And come the second or third round, although he started getting some successes, he already slipped behind really on the card. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, he had yeah. too much to do for that final round. Simone's just too good to, to try to think of trying to put him away in that third round. He's clearly very, very fit as well. The pace didn't yeah, stop. Yeah, he keeps the pace, doesn't he? What, what, one of the judges scored it for Borg, and um, yeah, I don't get that. You know, I, you know, don't get me wrong. There's some fights we can go. You know, I was, you know, it was a tough close fight, but I, I can't see in any way or means that how, how anybody could score at least two rounds to one for for Borg. You know, that, yeah, that's just my take. I, I just don't, I don't see how you you, you could score that. I absolutely agree. I think, what, what was it, something like eight takedowns or something? Eight yeah, takedowns. Yeah. I mean, being taken down eight times 
and the striking was not conclusively in favour of uh, Ray Borg. He, he just really shined um, with his combinations in the latter part of the fight. But you know, the striking was still f- pretty close. I mean, yeah, how do you how do you score it for Ray Borg? I, I just I'm baffled by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially when you consider those the successes that you mentioned with his striking, they were right at the end of the of the fight. They wasn't like they were intermittent, you know, throughout the rounds. Now, now and again, it was it was like a not a flurry, but it was towards the end of the fight. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that completely. We've got a couple of questions for you, Richard. Uh, Gaz wants to know, uh, are, the, are your thoughts different for dad to trainer in regards Jack fighting in the current conditions? No, no you know, it, it's a tough one. I, I mean, if, if we could have a proper training camp, I've got no problem with him fighting in the current conditions. You know, they fit healthy young men. They do all the testing. The, the issue I got at the moment is that we, we can't we can't open the gym. So um, we're, we're not in a position where we can put a prop. You know, we, Jack's at last stage of his career where we can't do anything half-hearted. It's got to be a, a 100% fully-fledged fight camp. Um, we, we can't afford to go in 60 70%, pick up a loss, and then we, we've got to rebuild. So and that goes for any of my guys, to be honest. Uh, and are we going to get there? You know, I know they talk about Fight Island with the USC, but there's no planes leaving the UK at the moment unless it's essential travel. So, you know, how are they going to get us to these places yeah. to fight? So, to, to be fair, they did um, uh, like a conference call with Dana uh, about two weeks ago. And D- Dana actually said uh, to all the fighters that you, you, you mustn't feel obliged to fight. If you're not training and your gyms are closed, it will not be held against you if you decline fights. So... We've not had anything offered us at the moment, and um, none, of, none of my guys, the three that we got in the UFC, none of them have had any anything put in our dress because we just can't get out of the country at the moment. So we're in a bit of limbo until July at least. And then I, I would, you know, it's, it's not like you're in the gym, and Danny, I think you'll attest this. I got guys in the gym constantly training when, when we're in normal times. If the UFC say, right, there's a fight in three weeks, we're good to go. We can prepare in our three weeks because our level of fitness and our level of um, sharpness is at a decent level already. But when it'll be, you know, probably you're looking at five, six months possibly out, out of the gym with no sparring, no grappling, no pad work. It, it, it's a really difficult situation. So, uh, you know, we'd want an eight to 12 week camp ideally to, to get back into the groove of things. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's fair enough. And at the end of the day, like you say, whether it's Jack or whether it's anyone, um, all fighters, have, you know, they they're entitled to have the best preparation for a fight, unless you're taking a fight, you know, on last minute notice, which is obviously a different scenario. Do you have the right to have like a full fight camp and stuff? Um, and I did wonder when I looked at these cards over the last, you know, four or five days, how many of these guys have been able to have a full fight camp? Like we talked a bit about it with uh, with Brett and Danny on uh, Sunday in that, you know, some of these guys, they only knew they were fighting a couple of weeks ago. So how much of that uh, lack of training camp has come into their performance on the night? And I know, you know, you get might get financially rewarded or whatever for coming in late, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because a couple of losses can be the difference between keeping your spot and losing your spot. So Yeah, 100%. Agreed, agreed. Uh, just very quickly before we move on... Uh, David Llewellyn asks, uh, as a coach, Richard, who encourages tournament? Uh, as a coach who encourages tournament participation, uh, what's your view on martial arts as self-defense versus as a sport argument? 
What's the question again? What's your view on self-defence against sport? Uh, what's your view on martial arts as self-defence versus as a sport? I think you've got to have you've got to have a bit of both. I got you know, I I, I think competition is brilliant. You know, even at my age, when when I'm fit and I can manage the injuries, I still do the the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu circuit and I will enter some competitions because I enjoy it and it's 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 good for you. You know, it's it, 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 particularly for youngsters coming through. I encourage tournament participation for the sport Jiu-Jitsu just for the fact that I'm getting used to the nerves of <coughs> fighting you know, against somebody that they don't know with a crowd watching and, and also they've got not got to worry about being punched in the face or knocked out in front of all their friends. Um, but I think there's an argument, like I'm an old school guy, where if you learn jiu-jitsu purely as a sport, so for example, if you've got no takedowns because you're quite happy to sit guard all the time, you know, you may be one of the most elite grapplers in the world, but you're going to come undone in a self-defense situation because you can't just drop your backside on on the pavement, can you? Because somebody with no training they can just simply sort of kick you straight in the face. So, yeah. <clears throat> don't get me wrong, against an unarm, against an untrained idiot that's, you know, drunk, 99.9% of guys that are well-equipped in, in sport jiu-jitsu should be able to manage themselves. But there's some really dangerous people out there. You know, I, I worked in pubs and clubs for 20 years and some of the meanest, nastiest people I know have got no martial arts training whatsoever, yet they'd be an handful for any, any trained fighter out there. So, I think self-defense is good. It's about getting the balance right. You know, he, even if somebody doesn't want to do MMA or, 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 or boxing or kickboxing with a strike, once a month we try and do like a self-defense class within the jiu-jitsu syllabus that we do at our gym, um, where the guys will chuck some gloves on. <coughs> They've got to do a bit of wrestling in the gi. Um, I think if you award somebody a black belt in any art, that person should be able to have a good standard of self-defense on the street. So that's my take on it. Good show. Um, and uh, finally, for the question for now, uh, Danny, uh, Gaz wants to know, who's the most promising fighter at BST currently? Ah, okay. Um, for you on the spot. This could cause some in-club arguments because uh, they're all really competitive <laughs> with each other. Um, uh, yeah, we, we've got a lot of young, tall talent, uh, talent coming up through. I mean, I, I could... I'm going to keep it to the pro fighters because we have got so much talent coming up as amateurs that run our pros already close, um, already in training. So obviously they show a lot of potential. Um, but the one that's uh, shining through with the most promise at, at the moment, um, I'm going to have to really mention too because they're both re really close in in in, the, in their abilities improvements recently. Um, is George Jordan Pavanchik? Uh, I think I'm pronouncing his surname. I'm really bad with names, and uh, you're no better, are you, Si? We always struggle no. with these names. But Jordan's definitely um, a stand. He just seems to have everything about him. And, and on top of all that, you know, he's a nice lad. He's not only intelligent, he's willing to ch um, change and admit he's wrong. Um, willing to make those, make those changes. He, he has a massive desire to win, but understands that losing is part of it as well. He's just such a well-balanced individual. So I've really got high hopes for him. And an incredible natural athlete. Obviously, that's part of it that, Mm. Has to be part of the equation too. Um, incredible. How athlete. old is he, Dan? How old is he? I think he's uh, 22, 23. 22. What weight does he fight at? Uh, featherweight. Uh, he, he has fought at lightweight as well, but he's a featherweight. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. Um, he can walk around heavy, but now he's got everything down. Um, Prop, he's got a dietitian and everything. Um, he, he's, so he he's pro now, Dan. Is he? He's, he's doing pro, is he? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's doing well. He's doing well. Um, 
Yeah, really, really good striker. I mean, he's just beginning to sort of like outgrow me in terms of doing the MMA now. I'll jump in when I feel really, really good and I, I can see that he looks a little bit tired. I'll jump in there <laughs> and maybe, maybe able to hang on and make it to the end of one round if that's the case. But I, I don't relish the idea of getting in there with him when he's fresh. Um, and the other one really is uh, Modestus because he's just got the signing for UFC. Frustrating times for him. You know, just got where he, you know, he's dreamed to be. Um, yeah. And now we've got this situation. You know, I, I really feel sorry for the lad. Uh, and Modestus, so, again, but a super soft-hearted individual. But the, the, the desire to win is just, it's the strongest I've ever seen. I mean, the, the guy is absolutely living MMA. He really yeah. is. Um, and I, I, he carries I himself well that. as well. He, he doesn't he? He carries himself well as a champion as well, I think. Absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I have experienced uh, Modestus having have his criticizers, um, you know, behind the scenes. Um, you know, I know he's, he's partly, you know, because he's got a really close uh, uh, connection with his dad, and his dad is an incredible martial artist in his own right. By the way, um, you know, this his dad is going to come out to be one of the top coaches. Um, he's going to get get known for his coaching. When you see these guys trained together in the pad work sequencing, I've never seen anything like it. Um, yeah. It's, it's it's to behold when I watch them in the warm-up room together, father and son, I'm just, I'm just like, wow, you know, it's just like watching a, a seminar demonstration. It's, it's pr- truly impressive. So yeah, it's really between the, those two. And it, I don't mean to take anything away from the other fighters. Um, they're all different stages, but they're the, they're the two that are really, you know, flowering, so to speak. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it, it must've been getting for, I was talking to Jay Herbert this week. And he was in the same same position with Destiny, you know, due to make the UFC de- debut and he had the, the carpet pulled from underneath him a week out, you know, it, it couldn't be any worse, could it? So so near yet, so far, as they say. And then, you know, yeah. we've no idea, Dan. You know, I, I think the British guys will be lucky to get a fight this year, if I'm honest. I, I'm in total agreement. I can't see how they're going to get fights, especially the ones who are international, because there's obviously no means to travel. And as long as we're on lockdown, there's going to be no events being yeah. planned. Yeah. And even once we come out of lockdown, and then people have got to try to start to try and book venues, um, everyone's going to be booking venues for different other things, not just MMA. So it's, I just don't know. I just don't think anyone's going to be fighting in any meaningful way this year. Maybe on the amateur scene, but pros, I can't see it. I don't mean to be... No, I mean- it's not being negative, it's being a realist. I just, I, I just hope I'm wrong, but I can't see that I am. It, it, there's also the logistics of whether any of the venues are going to allow large crowds, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. unless it's a, unless, unless it's a televised event where they can, you know, like Cage Warriors are fortunate that they got a UFC Fight Pass deal and they sure. can afford to do a closed doors um, yeah. event, you know, for your. For your grassroots level, you know, like the Academy, Cage Warriors Academy shows, you, you know, in, in our area, your adrenaline fight nights and things like that, it's going to be impossible to prevent one because without the fans, you haven't got the, the income coming in to pay the fighters. So we're, we're yeah. proper in limbo yeah. at the moment. Yeah, it's difficult then, isn't it? Um, back to the cards. So uh, next up was uh, the fight of the night as awarded, which was uh, Alexander Hernandez versus uh, Drew Dober. Uh, Danny, we'll start with you for this one. Uh, what do you make of this? Yeah, this was another, you know, firecracker Ooh. of a fight. I really, really enjoyed watching this one. Um, My favourite fight. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Fernandez uh, looked, looked really sharp with his wrestling. Um, and he got Dober down, didn't he, briefly? Um, which he needed to do because Dober was just, uh, oh. he was just like a grand out the blocks. He was just gunning, absolutely gunning. Um, maybe slightly overcommitted, which is what got him taken down a little bit easier than perhaps he should have been. Um 
So really close first round. I, I would just have to edge it for Fernandez, but he didn't look comfortable in there with that pace. Uh, he was running around the circle, uh, you know, oh, circle the outer perimeter of the cage, um, and managed to score those sort of takedowns. So those takedowns really for me were instinctive shoots uh, because he had to. Uh, that was all he was left to do. I, I just didn't feel like he could match the striking forward motion of uh, of Dober. So yeah, I, I gave it to the first round to Fernandez, but. Um, I, I was wondering how his nerve would hold up in in the later rounds. Mm. What about uh, what about you, Richard? Yeah, I, I felt it was. Uh, I, I felt Dober pressed the fight in, in round one, and Andy's got the got the takedown. In fact, didn't do anything with it. And they, t- towards the end of the round, I think he stuffed a couple then as well, didn't he? he Managed to get the underhook and, yeah. uh, and turn it off, but. Um, you can see that he trains with Gaethje Dober, can't you? You know, just his approach, his um, walk forward, walk you down. But I, I thought Dober's footwork was brilliant, and it, it's a, yeah. it's an under, it's an underestimated thing in MMA. You don't see a lot. Like we were closely with some top level boxing coaches down. You've probably seen that there, Dan. And I appreciate yeah. footwork. And what he did, he didn't chase him in circles. He was side to side, making him move around the outside. Um, but, you know, when, when he exchanged, he, he ripped the body nice as well. He put some lovely body shots in. And again, that's another yeah. underused tool in MMA, I feel. But Dober really, really impressed me. And Hernandez is one of these characters. To be honest, he got him a bad box when he was disrespecting Cerrone. I mean, whenever you fight Cerrone, I, I just don't see there's a need for you to, to badmouth the guy. He's been there, seen it, done it. He's going to turn up and fight. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe, maybe the occasion got to him. And even after Cerrone lost a... McGregor Hernandez was there, wasn't he? Publicly slating him at the mm. uh, at the UFC event. So I, I I really believed. Oh, this kid must have just had an off night. You know, he's got a lot of self confidence. But I, I just felt Dober done a number on him come the second round, didn't he? Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, but uh, as Danny said, I think he, he he nailed the shoots in the first round. Dober worked him out, managed to stack in the underhooks and was underhooking and turning him off. Um, and I, I think he just he, he took the fight out of him with the precision and. There's nothing worse than, you know, they stand when you've got somebody that's in your face, keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. You take him down, he gets back up, keeps coming. And I think that he just broke him. He broke him in the second round more than anything. He broke his will yeah, to fight. Absolutely great. And you could see that he got broken because uh, there was a time when he got Dober down and Dober easily shimmed his hips back and got up. And Hermendez paused to stand back to his feet. Yeah. It was almost like he was he knew that he was up against it. Um yeah, absolutely impressive performance by Dober. Yeah, he really put it on him and um, started landing some crisp shots and, and he, he was just relentless on him. So impressive. And yeah. you're right with the footwork as well. Um, you've got to remember footwork is your first line of defense against a striker because you know, if, um, if you're elusive, it doesn't matter how hard the opponent's punches. If you can't find you to land it, it ain't going to matter. Um, people might think blocking is the first line of defense. It isn't. It, it's, your, it's your footwork. But also, equal to that, when someone's trying to use a foot, footwork to be evasive, you've got to equally match and yeah. more so with your footwork coming fo- forward. Um, Amendez was really gauging on the outside of the, of the cage to try and get away from Dober. And Dober was quite comfortably shutting him down with superior yeah, forward coming footwork. Cut him off loads of times, didn't he? And I, yeah. His it, it, style of fight and the way he pressed, and, he, and you know, he's throwing a bit of venom in most of his punches. Yeah, again, he's another lad that's going to be a dangerous fight for anybody at 155. Yeah. Do you know I'd like absolutely. to see him fight? I, I know he's coming off a loss. I'd like to see him fight Michael Johnson. I think that'd be an interesting yeah. fight. Yeah, 
Yeah, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, the uh, the moment you were uh, referring to, Dan, where he get he got it, Hernandez got him down it because he had just been rocked, hadn't he? Uh, yeah, in the second round, and he he got rocked, so he did the right thing. He took him down. He had him in a good position, but instead of trying to hold him down and maybe progress that way, he kind of was too too low down and he didn't have a great grip on him. And he just, like you say, he got, a, he got up so, Dober got up so easily. And it was yeah. almost at that point that he realised, oh, I'm done, because he took a couple mm. more shots. And I think, yeah. was it when he got, it was either when he got up or just after he got up, he got hit. And he kind of leant against the cage as if like he was just in resignation. But um, to be fair to him, he, he got a chin on him because he took some big shots and, you know, he didn't uh, he didn't go down properly, mm. like he didn't get killed. But impressive yeah. from Dober. Um, next up was the uh, the big boys, the heavyweights, uh, Ben Rothwell versus Ovin St. Prue. I was uh, very interested to see how uh, Ovin St. Prue was going to do. Um, a heavyweight, but also Ben Rothwell is no, uh, he's no mug whatsoever. He's a good fighter. He's beaten some massive names. So, uh, yeah, Richard, what do you make of this one? Yeah, I, again, it was a split decision. I thought, I, I can't see how anybody could have scored the fight for OSP. Um, I felt, again, it wasn't the most exciting fight, but I felt Ben pressed forward. He pinned him on the cage quite, quite a bit. Um, head under the chin w- w- was working shots. Um, you know, it wasn't a great, great fight, but I, I, I think Ben done more than enough. Uh, don't get me wrong, o- OSP got the the knockdown right at the end of the third round, didn't he? But I don't think it, it, it justified enough for him to win the fight. You know, I don't know what Danny's thoughts are on it, but uh, if I was judging that, you know, and under the criteria that they ask you to, you know, you, you could even argue, t- you know, 2 1 or even 3 0 to Rothwell, I felt. Yeah, I certainly didn't think that he did enough to win the fight. And like you say, I was um, in an R in on that kind of, I think it was the third round. But um, I thought Rothwell won all of them, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was the third round, wasn't it? Because right at the end yeah. of the fight. Right uh, at the end, he, put, he caught him with a lovely shot, didn't he? And dropped him right on the bell. Um, what about you, Dan? Did you uh, see it quite similar or anything different? Yeah, no, absolutely. Very, very similar. I mean, uh, both of them, they're not pretty looking fighters. Rothwell is impressive in that, you know, he doesn't have a really good tight guard when he strikes. He, he doesn't deliver a strike technically 100% correct, but he's just such a forward plodding guy. He's smothering. I imagine it's really frustrating to, to be in there with this guy um, because yeah. you can have a better technique style, but he'll come at somehow he'll just smother it up um must be really a difficult uh, difficult prospect to to defeat a guy like that look he's got a formula that wins quite often although it's yeah, not pretty yeah he, you know uh, people have to figure him out nevertheless he's bring something to the table that is a little unusual a little different but he gets the job done and he gets it done time and time again uh, time and time again against guys on paper you would look at stylistically and think that they might be better gifted f- fighters and athletes which they can be but nevertheless he's got a little style going about him that's hard to break yeah. you know he does the same with everybody no matter what he's up against he, he's a big lad as well and he, he uses his weight well doesn't he you know he pins him on the fence and gets his yeah. head under the chin yeah I, I think he's two i think he's 260 pounds so i think he's on the limit he's a, he's a big man yeah. you know yeah, and, yeah. And he, people forget about his experience i watched um you know you know what it's like you you end up on youtube watching videos you've watched many times again doing this bloody lockdown but uh, i watched the, the renzo gracie documentary 
And I, I, I missed it in the first time I'd ever watched Renzo's documentary that um, when the Militic camp fought the Renzo camp uh, in the, the IFL, wasn't it? The, the fight leagues they had in America for a while. So it was Team Militic against Team Gracie. Ben Rothwell fought one of the Gracies on there and one by TKO as well. So he's been around a long, long time fighting professional MMA, you know. So he's a bad, again, he's another one, Ben. He, I don't think he's ever going to be world champion, but he's a bad fight for anybody in that top 10. He's, he's dangerous, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He made his debut in 2001, uh, professional yeah. debut, like, and also he, you know, let's not forget people. I think people assume because of the size of him and also, you know, that he sometimes doesn't look technically the best with his striking. That you know, he submitted Junior Dos Santos, you know, yeah. no, no mug whatsoever. Um, and I can't remember who he called out at the end now, I forget who it was, but he called someone out, um, you know, in his very kind of quietly spoken way. Um, I forget who it was. What would you, um, Dan, what do you think's next for Ovin St. Prue? Because I wasn't, yeah, well, mass- didn't he get, yeah, didn't he just get. He come up a weight, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, this yeah, was it was a one off. It was just they, they said before the fight, it was just for a one off fight, wasn't it? Because of yeah, the, the circumstances yeah. around the, the training. Oh, yeah, he weighed in two, uh, he weighed in 240, man. He's a big lad, 240 pounds. Yeah, yeah, he, he is a big lad. I mean, maybe he could have another punt at this weight. Um, I just think you know, it was hard for him to get any, any of his game off against Rothwell, but um, you can't take anything away from you know. Him, him personally for that. Ruffle just seems to do the same no matter who's up against, it seems. Um, yeah, I mean, may, maybe have another punt at that weight to see whether it, it will suit him. And, um, you know, when you're first coming up to different weights, you know, things are a little bit different with it. Uh, it takes you a little while to acclimatise to that, that new tempo. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight again at that weight, um, just seeing whether he can make adjustments to it. Yeah, I mean, what's the... the... The power difference. So, say someone who's fighting at like light heavyweight, and then they go up and fight a heavyweight, or any weight really. If you go up a weight, like, do you notice? Is there a considerable difference in the amount of power coming your way from strikes, Dan? Uh, well, yeah, I fought over two weights. Um, I was a champion at seventy kilos. Um, well, partly because that was the lightest weight that there was. Um, so, mm. for my early part of my career, you know, I gave away up to ten kilos you know, a, a good few times. Um, and, and the only reason I got away with it back then was the fact that there was still a big technical level between um, different camps. You know, there, there wasn't yeah. a huge amount of BJJ around at the time. I was just really lucky to latch on to Lee Asdor, um, you know, in the 1990s. Um, and, I, you know, my first ground style really was a, a Japanese shoot style. Um, and I took to the ground really well. So I had a lot of, like a little edge over most people technically. And that's what saw me through. That, that and being really, really fitness. I was really into my fitness, and so I was really well-conditioned. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I can vouch for it that when you fight someone who's more skilled, who naturally is bigger than you, it, it ain't easy. It, you know, weight, weight matters. Weight counts. It really, really does. Um, so when I brought in that featherweight, uh, it, it was a whole lot better. But, of course, that everyone's so much faster. Um, so that's what I was, I was meaning, really. You know, if you are going to switch up your weights, which is another reason why I really respect Conor McGregor, you know, love him or loathe him. This guy's fought all over the place at the weight divisions. It seems, yeah, 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 you know, agreed. And he's had, he's had successes. I think he's the only person, isn't he, to have knockouts over three different weight divisions. Three yeah. weight divisions. I, I think yeah. that's right. I mean, yeah. that's impressive. Uh, you know, that really truly is impressive. Um, yeah, it, it, it can pose problems, but. I, you know, that's what I mean by and I say that, you know, St. Pierre should perhaps have another dig at that weight, 
you know, to really give give himself a chance to know whether he's going to be able to make something of that division. But you know, I, I don't know whether, you know, I don't know whether perhaps that they're, they're testing it because maybe he was struggling because he does look like a big dude himself. Maybe he was struggling down at that weight. You know, as your fighters get older, they quite often look at yeah. those heavier weight divisions. It, it depends where you are in your career. He, he's never missed two hundred five. What I what I say by the way is bang on. Danny says, and what you got to remember in the lower division. So if you start off um, flyweight, one hundred twenty five, one hundred thirty five, one hundred forty five, one hundred fifty five. So you've got ten pound differences in each weight division. But then you go one five five, then you go one seventy. So there's a fifteen pound difference. So there's a big mm. jump from lightweight to welterweight. Okay, then you go. 170 to 25, 15 pound again. Then you go 185 to 205, there's 20 pound difference. So as you go up the weights, the the, the gauge, be, and then you go from 205 to 260, that's a massive gulf. And I think probably yeah. at heavyweight is is the biggest the biggest issue you're going to have. I mean, if you have somebody like Rothwell, then that's cutting to get down to 260. I know SP was fought all his career at 205. This should be a huge, a huge gap there, you know. It, it, uh, yeah. As Dan said, it, you you could feel the differences just in them ten pound divisions. But when you started in the fifteens or twenties, and then to a fifty five pound weight a weight yeah. variance, you know it's it's a lot, isn't it? Oh yeah, that is a lot. Um, Peaches asks uh, Richard, uh, "Have you ever fought yourself, or are you just doing yeah. training?" Have I ever fought? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've fought. Yeah. Um, I've fought. So the, the old school semi-pro rules when it was um, headshots and I fought professional rules. I fought no headshots. I, I fought every single rule set you, you, you can have. Um, sport jiu-jitsu, grappling. Uh, I, I've pretty much done everything. So, yeah, I fought, um, fought MMA between amateur, semi-pro and pro. I had 17 fights. Ah, okay. What was your professional record? Uh, one-on-one at pro. For the for the full pro, I had a lot of yeah. semi pro back in the day because, as Daniel tell you, the, the rules were you turn up and there's a couple of times I was arranged to fight pro and to be semi pro. Um, yeah, it was all you know, over the place. It, it, it was. All, I turned up for I turned up for one pro fight where for whatever reason they wanted um, no elbows in line with UCMMA. Remember UCMMA took the elbows out for yeah, a bit, yeah. didn't they? Uh, cage rage back in the day. And then, like, we've turned up on the day, so I've had, like, an eight-week camp, for, you know, training with no elbows, and then they've dropped on us. Um, well, we're going to put elbows in. We're going to put elbows back in, which, you know, it doesn't sound a big deal, but sometimes when you're game planning, you know, I, I, I'm OCD and uh, a little bit little bit anal on these things when it comes to preparation for a fight. It was the same as a competitor, and I'm even worse than I was a coach, you know. Uh, but as Danny said, back in those days, if somebody missed weight, you just got on with it. If they changed the rule set, you just got on with it. The, the youngsters today don't know how lucky they are to have some real top-tier shows to be performing on because they'd have had a heart attack down one a few years ago if they'd have turned oh, up to yeah. some of the Yeah, yeah. I can't remember if it was on air or off air when you were saying that you had, you, you had actually seen me fight at that grapple and strike. It was done on an open yeah. mat. Um, yeah. I, I think actually, but did, did Pat, I can't remember, did he wear a gi? He used to wear a gi for a lot of his fights. Really? He? He he was a judo guy. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I can't remember if he did now with, with our one. But um, I remember we turned up, I, was, I always weighed about 64, 65 kilos back then. And uh, like I said, I was, I was running late on, on this event, got caught for speeding on the way down, turned up a little bit late. Um, and they put the weighing scales away. And uh, Lee Asdor, my coach at the time, said, uh, 
Pac you know, Pacol looks bloody big. I mean, he's got not the tallest of dudes, is he? He's about five, 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 six, but he looked like a, a breeze block. Um, and yeah. he goes, you know, have you done the weigh ins? He goes, yeah, yeah, 70 kilos. And he goes, well, yeah, my guy is only 65. <laughs> we knew he was going to give away about five kilos, but he looks bigger than that. And he goes, where's the scales gone? He goes, well, someone's taken them. So Lee <laughs> went and bought a set of scales. Bought them in, he ended up weighing at 75. So, well, uh, you know, yeah. I, I fought that fight. And I remember throwing a leg kick, it sort of like hit his leg. And then he leg kicked me and kicked me up in the air off my feet. It, it was a, a, a horrendous experience. Uh, weren't, weren't nice. No, the old way. I, I, I had this conversation the other week. I fought on, um, I can't remember the name of the bloody show. Mike Swambo used to run it. It was an event in Wales. So I took young, young Mark Marshman was a young lad back then, you know, and he just, um, just started fighting uh, uh, uni not unified amateur, like it was semi-pro. So we were fighting a guy called Matt McCarthy. So we it was the same day weigh-in, 84 kilograms. We turned up. It was in Splot Market, which is a rough neck of the woods in Cardiff, right? It's an open-air market. So the scales were on the back of a Luton van. So we get in the back of this Luton van. There's no scales. There's no scales in, right? So I go, where's the scales? He goes, Oh, they've, they've been put away. I said, I got a scales in the car. So go and get my scales. We put them back to this Luton van. We get on. He's 84.5. So we have, we, we, we've heard of the laddies fighting, Matt, but we've never actually seen him, physically seen him. So they do a fighters parade. So they're in, in the cage. And I'm looking. I think, well, who's Marshall fighting? I can't see anybody the same sort of weight. And they go, next fight, <laughs> Matt McCarthy against Jack Marshall. Matt McCarthy, step forward. This cannonball steps forward now. He's got to be 100 plus K, right? <laughs> I look at Jesus Christ. So anyway, they have the fight. Marshman does what he usually does and, and, and stops him. So a week later, now this Matt rings me up and he goes, uh, I'd like to come up and train. Would that be all right? So he turns up at my gym. I said, yeah. I said, mate, I said, how, the f did, you make, how did you make 84 kilograms? He goes, no, no, I didn't make 84 kilograms. I said, well, we'd arranged to do a same day weigh in 84. No, I weighed in the day before. I said, what oh, do you mean I weighed in the day before? He said, they told me it was the day before weighing, but not to mention it. He says, so what I done, I turned up at Mike's gym. I said this, it gets better, it gets better. So he turns up at Mike's gym. He's not there, the promoter. So he rings the promoter and goes, I'm at the gym ready to do the weigh-in. He goes, there's a scales in the corner of the room. Jump on it, tell me where you are. So he ain't even there. So he said, I've gone on the scales. I'm 98K, I can't get any lower, I'm dying. He goes, that's all right, if they ask tomorrow, you're 84K. So it's the first time in the history of MMA where they've done a telephone weigh-in, not even a video weigh-in. Just took the guy's <laughs> word for it. Um, and that's what you was dealing with back in the day. It's ridiculous what yeah. we had to put up with. I tell you now, absolutely ridiculous. Shady. I um, we me and Danny for the regular like the weekly show. We've been doing the the retro kind of reviews. I think what we are we we did UFC seven most recently, mm. and we've been looking at some of Jack's uh, fights. We've had the first couple of the pro fights now, and. Um, Watching the old UFC shows with the no weight limits and headbutts legal and groin shots legal, it's madness. Like, and I said, I asked Brett on uh, Sunday. I said, after we'd been talking about Francis and Garno's fight, I said, so we've been watching the old UFC shows. Would you uh, would you take a fight against Francis? Bit of a size difference tonight. I think he said he'd take it, man, but. <laughs> well, I, I don't. Brett, Brett, Brett is shooting a double, take him down. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing he is, said, I think he said he'd win by chewing his ankles off. Or something. Yeah, like, was, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll choose his nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's a tag, tag team. Um, all right, okay. So we got uh, the one, uh, the main event to go 
which was Anthony Smith versus uh, Glover Texera. And uh, it was a bit of a mauling. Uh, what uh, we've got a bit, a bit to talk about, as, you know, aside from the fight, whether it should have been stopped earlier, uh, the teeth. Uh, Anthony Smith had a good start. He did very well in the first round. Uh, not so well after that. What uh, what did you make of this, Richard? I, I think that fight is a perfect example of why it's not an ideal time to be holding events because Anthony Smith has got a, a history of doing five rounds standing on his head. He was tired after a round. He dominated the first round, I felt. I felt his, his striking looked brilliant. I thought, you know, on paper, I thought Smith was a favourite going into that fight. He's, um, yeah. he's, you know, he's had a brilliant win over Gustafson recently. Um Put no a good much. account of himself against John Jones. You know, Glover's getting on in years now. And after watching the first round, I thought, oh, crikey, this ain't going the distance. I think he'll start. But he just got tired so quickly, which isn't which isn't a normal trait for Anthony Smith. You know, he's always well-conditioned. And if, I, I honestly believe that that is a perfect example of somebody who's not had a proper fight camp. Glover, on the other hand, is one of these Brazilian dudes that's been fighting all his life. You know, they've got that... that that will just keep going, whether they fit or whether they're not. Um, I, I, I thought it was a fantastic spectacle to watch. I enjoyed it, right? You know, it was a real interesting fight from start to finish. Um, first round, I give to Smith, and then I, I felt Glover found his feet and, you know, took over from round two on. Uh, and again, I put a lot of that down to fatigue on Anthony's part, if I'm honest. I think um, Anthony in a full camp with a proper fight camp, it, it might have been a, a different result. Do you, um, do you feel, though, Richard, maybe knowing that they didn't have a full camp, he went a bit too quick in that first round and he maybe like blew himself up a little bit? Or do you think again, he's, got to, he's got to go with what he's got to go with? You know, fighters fight how they normally fight, don't they? Do you know what I mean? So yeah, if he's used to going in and pushing a pace, probably on hindsight, he'll probably sit down today and think, do you know what? I should have paced myself. I wasn't fight fit. But a, a fighter will go in with that mentality. Well, I've... My last couple of fights have been five rounders. I can do it. Um, I'm going to press pressure this guy, and you know he's he's 40 years of age. I'm going to break him. Um, but unfortunately for Anthony, you know, Anthony's a a good guy. He's somebody I really respect and enjoy watching. I think he carries himself really well. Um, and I just feel it. The, the the camp would have had a big impact on that performance. Yeah, I think so. I am. Um... I saw a bit of criticism for Anthony Smith on like Twitter and Instagram and things. I, I don't really pay much attention to that, to be honest. But um, people seem to forget like that he did very, very well against John Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you mentioned there, he beat uh, Gustafsson. He stopped Gustafsson, didn't he? Exceptional he, fighter. Brilliant match. So, uh, yeah, he, um, that, go on, sorry. Yes, I, I, just, I just think it's not the... It wasn't the Anthony Smith I'm used to watching. The first round, yeah, it, it, it was him. Tough walking, precision striking, you know, on, on point. But I just felt the fatigue took over from round two onwards. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Dan, what did you make of this one? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought Smith had the first two on pure output. Um, uh, yeah, you, you start to know who's had what type of camp. absolutely agree with that. Um, and I think you may have seen the inkling of... The, the current situation, how it's taken effect on some of the athletes. Um, yeah, Smith did, did gas. I think maybe he knew he didn't have the gas sink and was maybe trying yeah. to uh, get this over with in the first two Finish rounds. Early. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it didn't happen. But 
Um, but Glover is no slouch. And they had both opposite style of defence as well. Um, you know, Smith is more footwork orientated. He has a, a, what I call a loose or a, an outstretched guard. You, you saw him take that to the stream, but that don't always keep you safe with someone's rolling their head and, and yeah. throwing in hooking heavy shots like Glover was. Um, I just felt like Glover kept his heart rate really low um, and he had a really nice tight guard. I think he was only getting tagged up partly because of the obviously the work rate that Smith was bringing to the table because I think feel that he was trying to get it away in the first two rounds. But Glover was um, holding really tight and really relaxed. He knew he's got five rounds. Um, and you know that he was loading up on those shots when he landed them, but he made them count when it mattered. Once he yeah. started to hurt Smith, he was then on it, then started putting the pace on him. I was just a little bit baffled about his strategy because he, he would then shoot and take him down, and that was a head scratch for me. Yeah. I feel like he could have had this out in that third round, um, but, yeah. but he, kept he kept getting him off the hook for some reason. If I was in that corner, I would have been shouting out, let him back up, disengage, yeah. get the shots yeah. back on him. And if you are on the ground, rise up, posture up, ground and pound, the ref will step in. Agreed. In, in the fourth round, he was chasing a rear naked choke for about two and a half minutes. Yeah. And I think Baffling. he had the hook. He had the hooks in. He had him flattened out at one point. If he throws six, seven punches, the referee would have stopped that fight because he was in a. But you know, I, I read a couple of things on Twitter saying the ref should have stopped it in the fourth. Well, he, no, because he turned into a grappling match, not an MMA fight. He was looking for the submission. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, I I pride my gym on the fact that if we hit that position, we take your back on mount. We're, the last thing on our mind is submitting anybody. We're, we're yeah. going to strike you to a point where you're going to give us a submission with ease, or you're going to you're going to get stopped. You know, position yeah. pound. You know, keep your hips heavy. When typically when you get the back and you've got somebody flat out, you should be finishing a fight at that level from there. For, you know, I, I I agree with you. Dan. If I was his coach, I'd have, I'd have given him a bollock in the end of round four and said, "You yeah, should." You I, I would have been annoyed. I would have been. You really know, you're annoyed. going into a fifth round now. He's always dangerous, Anthony Smith. You know, he could have thrown a, a windmill punch and catch you and clean you out. That yeah. should have been over in the fourth. I don't know if you've seen the highlight today. UFC shared the, the conversation they had in the corner where Glover apologises to him. He's got him down. He's, he's punching him and he says, um, I'm sorry about this, Anthony, but it's, it, it's part of the job. And Anthony goes, it is what it is, brother. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> this is after he's given him the teeth. You know, he's handed the yeah, teeth. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, I'm sorry about this, Anthony, but it's part of the job. You know, he's apologising. <laughs> have a look. It's on the USC Twitter. It's a, it's a fantastic <laughs> moment in, in MMA. I've got to be honest. That is that's yeah, beautiful. That's brilliant. That. I'm glad to have a look. The, um, so we meant, uh, you mentioned the referee there. Did you feel, that, or you said you didn't think the referee really needed to stop it as such. Do you think no, I didn't feel uh, maybe Smith's corner, Danny, should have jumped, uh, should have perhaps pulled him a bit earlier? Um, I, I think there was there was room to stop it at, at any point. But, uh, I, you know, the, the camp know their fighters better than anyone else. Um, and, and maybe they just know that that's something that they shouldn't do. Um, mm. I'm not, yeah, it, it's a hard one. I, I, I know I've got different fighters that I know you know, respect my opinion on, on wanting the fight stopped if needed. Um, but also know there's some that will, you know, never talk to me ever again <laughs> if I never left it for them to decide when they've had enough. Um, you know, if the ref intervenes and then so be it. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I really agree with Richard, really. Um, at the time when the ref looked like he was going to intervene, he, he then started grabbing the wrists and, and looking for <laughs> chokes and, 
it, oh. it was really, really baffling strategy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? When you're in there, sometimes you're just you're just doing what you do in training, and maybe that's what you what you've done in training. Um, you know, all, not all the time when you're in training, you you try and keep lumping up your partner uh, when you're on their back and they're getting a bit tired and getting a bit beat, and you you maybe play a submission route. So maybe he just went into a little bit of automatic pilot there. But I'm not going to take anything away from his points other than that little strategical, you know, questioning choice to go about yeah. it. Um, it was a really impressive performance. You know, you've got to remember this guy's what 40 now. Yeah, um, that's a that's, that's a four fight win, four fight win streak as well now. So he, he, you know, after beating Smith, you could argue he mm. he's put himself in line for a title fight. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. Four four fight win win streak at. Uh, you know, at the stage of his career he's at now. Um, yeah. Just quickly, uh, Richard, did you think that the corner could have perhaps uh, stepped in for, for Anthony Smith at any point? I, I would have pulled out at the end of the fourth round, when, particularly when I noticed his teeth are out. He, 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 he looked a me, bit dishevelled. Yeah, he was... Be, and I, and my, my issue is this. As Danny said, I got the same in my gym. I got fighters that will... Respect the decision of fighters of one, but the ones that don't have just got to take it on the head. You know, my, my job is to protect them, um, and my job is to make sure they're safe and they go home to their family. I mean, a beating like he took that has such a mental effect on some fighters as well. Some fighters don't come back the same after because I, I, I promise you, if you watch it back now, we know that you know you can get caught up when you watch a fight for the first time. I, I'm one of these guys that will sit down and watch it without any volume on and, and just watch the fight the second time if it's one of them interesting, just to just to see how the fight really did pan out without any emotions. And I think if we watch that back, the, the beating he took in three and four, it, it, was, it was a heavy beating. You know, his teeth being knocked mm. out. He was taking hammer fit. To be honest, a, a part of me thinks, was Glover looking for the submission as he knew he had his number and was thinking, oh, I don't want to put any more yeah. of beat down. Particularly after you hear this conversation that he had in the corner where he, he's apologising yeah. for having to hit him again, you know? Yeah, I was going to ask um, you that. Is, is it because he... Their friends, or they he respects him so much that he doesn't want to do any more damage to him. It, 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 it does happen. It does. Yeah, it does happen. You know, you, you you see somebody where they know they've got the fight one, and they, they'll finish it with as little damage as possible. But you know, it's, it's a high stakes fight. It's a main it's a main event, and uh, yeah. going in round five, as I said, Smith could have thrown one from the hip, connected on the chin, and that's all she wrote. He could have come back and won. So, as a coach, I want to be happy with. Glover, but as a coach for Anthony, I would have pulled him at the end of the fourth. I would just be my take on it. Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. Uh, I'll tell you what, Danny, what would you give UFC Jacksonville out of 10 for a spectacle? Well, uh, what are we doing as an average? We're doing a five as an average UFC, are we? Yeah. Uh, I would say a six. Six and a half, if we can do half. So I'd say six yeah, and a half because yeah. um, there, there, there were there were a few fights I really enjoyed, and there was a couple of plodders. Um, yeah. But the the ones that were good were really really good to watch. So I'll, I'll give it a six point five. What about uh, what about you, Richard? Yeah, I'm gonna go with Danny on that. If we're, if we're doing halves, because I was six seven, but so yeah, six and a half. It was like I said, the the Smith fight I enjoyed, the Hernandez Dober fight I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the Johnson uh, Moises bout. Um, I am watching the card. I'm going to watch you on the card now tonight when the wife goes to bed. So, um, yeah, you know, I just glad to see some MMA back on telly, lads. I'm yeah. not, not complaining. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not complaining. I'm just glad I have something to watch, which I've got a bit of enjoyment with. 
Yeah, spot on. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, Richard, tell the people where they can find your new podcast, Shake, Rattle and Roll. Shake, Rattle. Do you like the name, Say, si? I do. I love it. I really yeah. like it. Yeah. Shake, this is my thinking behind it. Shake is my nickname. Rattle because I try and ask some questions but we'll rattle them. And roll because I enjoy rolling. So that was where that oh, came from. It's, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I've got a really um, good name. I've got Oban Elliott on, on Friday and I got Goddard next week. So I'm me and Goddard go back a long way. So we, we got some stories to, to throw out there for people on that one. Oh. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I don't know what I am, mate. I'll be honest. I think it's uh, Richard Sean. MMA, I believe, yeah. MMA. And I think I'm just at Richard.Sean on Instagram, I think. Um, but we've got Show Mixed Martial Arts, which is our key platform, which is on Facebook. We've got a page on Facebook, Show Mixed Martial Arts, and an Instagram at Show Mixed Martial Arts. Um, as you said, the gym's not open at the moment, but it's a state-of-the-art facility. And uh, like I said, hopefully it won't be too long and uh, we'll be able to get back to business. Indeed. And uh, Danny, you're not on Twitter, but you're on Instagram, but you never use it. Uh, <laughs> BST Academy got an Instagram and Facebook page as well. They have, haven't they? Uh, probably. Yeah. I don't run that you mean to tell me you don't, you, don't, you don't deal with those? I'm I don't deal with that. That side of it now. I'm no, I don't. Um, but I'll, sorry, sorry, before I'll, we wrap it up as well, I just want to, you probably didn't notice, but I'll stand up. I'm donning oh, yeah, yeah. a Way Day Apparel shirt. Yeah. Fits wonderful. Know. Really, really happy nice with that. T-shirt. Fits great on the arms. Yeah. Really happy. So thank you, for Alan, um, Alan, for that. Um, just wanted really to like it. it. Just wanted to show yeah. off your gut, your, your arms then, wasn't it? That was all it was. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask, want... ask Danny a question, if I can. I want to ask Danny yeah, yeah, a question. Yeah, yeah, come on. Of course, come. Danny, like me, has been right from, from the early days to now. What's your thoughts? Um, are you an advocate of the safe MMA process? Uh, yeah, there's some there's some things that are a bit head scratchy about it. Or, or, or um, yeah, because the, the fighters have got to pay for it, haven't they? Fighters have got to pay for it, but this is my argument on it. If you're a plumber and you start your own business, you've got to pay for some tools and insurance, haven't you? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, the fighters have got to pay for it, but. We, we, I don't know if you've seen it, Dan. I had a lad, Dave Adacott, and, and for me, Dave is probably one of the most naturally gifted fighters that we've been, we've ever had yeah. at the gym. And I, he was back, you know, we had a couple of Switzer spats, but he, he's just so gifted. I really had high hopes for Dave, and uh, he's doing a fight on Cage Warriors, and we had the brain scan done, and um, pretty much they said to him that if he was the head of football, he could die. He had the, uh, he had a, a, a clot on the brain. Jeez, now. Without that brain scan, if I'd put him on any other event, if it hadn't been Cage Warriors, there's a chance he might not have gone on to his wife and kids. The, sure. You know, or he could have even dropped dead in the gym. So it, it mm. we, we can get it done in Wales. The entire safe MMA um, process to qualify you for fighting, we can get it done for 520 quid. Then yeah. for the next three years, it's 120 just to renew your bloods, medical and annual because right, okay. the, the brain scan follows you. So. But, sure. Like a lot of people get, they, they fall into the trap of going, it's like, you know, up in England, I know there's people quoting 700 to, to 1,000 pounds. If you come out of Wales, I can give the package with our private hospital and we get everything done for 520 knots. But then if you look at over a three-year period, it's five, six, seven, call it 900 quid, it's 300 quid a year just to have peace of mind that you, you know, yeah. your, your brain is intact. Because I'll tell you now, I think if, it opened my eyes. This situation really opened my eyes because I was a little bit, you know, it's expensive for the fighters and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. But 
if that lad had died in the middle of a fight, that would have been me down. I'd have closed the gym down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't know if it, because I've got a good, I've got a really good close relationship with Dave. I don't know if I, I you know, I, can you imagine me having to look at his wife and his kids and say, mm. he was doing something that I've encouraged him to do and and, and he's passed away. So mm. I just think in today's day and age, it's better to be safe and sorry. We, yeah. Like in Wales, there's no money in Wales and none of the lads got any money. But what we do, we, we, we sell it as um part of sponsorship. I mean, I, I've got no end of lads, safe MMA clear, and not one of them's paid a penny. We've got it all in through sponsors and just advertising yeah, yeah. on Facebook and stuff. But, yeah, you know, I mean, there's a lot, only... lot, lot of guys slaughter it. And I think, you know, what will end up happening, somebody's going to die on a show sooner yeah. or later that's not being cleared. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm in agreement with, with, with you there. Um, You know, when, when you first mentioned it to me, you know, I've had a couple of issues where um, our fighters had to go through that process, which is all, all fine. Um, but you know, we got hit with the financial issue of it. It's like they yeah. had no money, um, and, yeah, and it yeah, just yeah. It, it caused a bit of stress. But um, you know, when I had the discussions with my students, I explained it the same similar way to yourself. Um, really, we're at fragile times, even still now in the UK. Um, and we were talking about this uh, on, on on the previous podcast, wasn't we, Sire? Um, yeah. About the you know, France has only just allowed it uh, MMA yeah. to to come into their country. You know, any anything like even an arm break could put it back to another yeah, decade yeah, I agree, I agree. no MMA yeah. in France. And, and so absolutely, there needs to be some kind of um, you know, govern, governing body uh, that, that builds up strength to, to protect something that might happen that will probably eventually happen at some point because it's a combat yeah. sport. But then, you know, let's look at boxing as an example. I used an example last time um, I spoke about this issue. You know, um, it, it's so in place now. You know, then they do have deaths. Uh, you're on a much more frequent level, um, but they're so, you know, they've got such a good structure there now that, and, and they do everything they can to keep themselves, and they can hold their, their 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 boxing still in place no matter what the fatality. But MMA don't have that. that no, we're that not. We're not at that point yet. Are we? Yeah. No, we're not. And um, and you know, America might get away with it, but I don't think uh, the UK would. I think if we have a fatality. Because things ain't in place as good as they could be, um, I think we're opening ourselves up to a, a big issue. We could be sitting in a position that France has just got itself out of. Yeah. So yeah, in that in that prospect uh, perspective, I absolutely agree with you there, Richard. I mean, the, the lad passed away on one of the Irish shows a few years ago, didn't he? And now in Ireland, right, even yeah. the amateurs have the amateurs have got to be brain scanned now as well. So that yeah, yeah. If you want to fight an amateur now in 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 the Irish Republic or Northern Ireland, you've got to be you've got to be brain scanned. It's, it's a tough one it's a difficult one in as much as I come from an area where there's no money you know the, the guys that are working on minimum wage are unemployed so mm. you know do you put the cost before fight the safety I'll be honest with you I, w- I was always mixed but the, the Dave Adicott situation took me over the edge and as a promoter as well you know um, yeah. I don't want to have to speak to somebody's family and say well I didn't implement a, a, a safe MMA regulation on my show so unfortunately, we didn't brain scan your son, and um, he's mm. passed away. You know, so yeah, yeah. I, I'm one of those. I'm an advocate for. It. I just want. I'm just curious to see what your thoughts were on it, pal. Was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to. Uh, I can't remember the name of the. Yeah, Mark Goddard hosted it, and Rosie Sexton was part of the committee. They're, they're like a self-elected committee, and um, and I went along to it uh, because I was kind of curious. And I had it explained to me in much more detail. And um, you remember, I was the other side of the fence where I was just. You know, getting it from my students that oh, I've got to pay this safe MMA, yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, it's moaning about us, and I try to explain to them, look, you know, you've got to do it. it 
you know, if, if you want to fight on these bigger promotions, you get covered for a whole year thereafter. But Mark Goddard explained it very, 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 very well. Um, Rosie Sexton as well. Um, you know, I was really surprised to see how strong their views were on how important it was to keep these fighters safe, not just for the individual fighters, because they've all got families, like you're saying, you know, you know, God forbid, you know, that these are people who are, are sons and daughters that, that could potentially be facing a fatality if things are not in place. Um, but they really pushed the point over in a really, really good way. And, you know, as soon as they run another meeting, I'll be going to it. And uh, the, what they were suggesting there was that you have got to get something, you know, a proper commission put in place. Um, America have it and we've got to have it and we've got to keep pushing towards it. But we've got to try to be convincing to the governments, which is not easy to do. No, it's difficult, mate. It's difficult. The, um, the, the other thing as well, the misconceptions, I think people think the safe MMA keep all the money and they don't. Yeah. It's a, a, small, it's a small admin fee. Um every year. I mean, everything else is what well, you pay direct to the hospitals. It doesn't even go to safe MMA. You know, you pay, you pay your doctor for your medical, you pay your doctor for your bloods, you pay the optician for your eye test, you pay the, the hospital for the MRI, and then you just pay a small admin fee for somebody at safe MMA to keep a register, keep a log and keep everybody updated, you know. So mm. that's a misconception as well. If people think the safe MMA are earning 600 to £1,000 a fight there, the money doesn't yeah. actually go to them guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's my no, rant on safe MMA over lads putting the world to rights. No, that's good. I enjoyed that's that. Good. Yeah, um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, guys, I I could sit here and listen. Someone just said in the chat actually, uh, they could sit here and listen to the three of us talk for hours. And I like we they were talking about the when we were talking about the show. But I mean, I could listen to you two going talking MMA and stuff for the rest of the night. But um, mm. yeah. Uh, guys, I'm going to have a, a, another guest. We'll have another guest analyst on next Friday for our live show covering the UFC uh, midweek show. And uh, you might recognize the name. I don't think I'm going to have to change too much of the nameplate uh, to my side. But uh, we'll see. And uh, we'll, of course, be back uh, at the start of next week for the Andy Campbell Football Show, which is on Monday evening with a very special guest because it's uh, the 200th episode of Ace Podcast Nation. And uh, I've got uh, a former Manchester United and Wales International coming on. And I will leave it at that. Come on, and, uh, who is no, it? I, I, I can't say. Surprise. <laughs> Wait, Wales and Man United, Clayton Blackmore. Oh, you twat. Am I right? <laughs> 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 Yeah. I, knew, right. I knew I shouldn't have said anything. Oh. Andy will be that, furious. That's because I'm a Welsh United fan. Look, it's not many international yeah. fans. Oh, uh, we got some great shows coming up, uh, people. So subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've got uh, all sorts of shows coming up. And uh, on Sunday, we have a new show as well and a couple of live shows. But we'll be back with more MMA uh, twice next week. We'll be Tuesday and Friday. Friday is the live one. Richard, thank you ever so much for joining us. Danny, Thanks, it's a pleasure as always. Thanks, lads. Really yeah, good. Yeah, no, um, I, I re really enjoyed these uh, little group ones. It was really good with Brett Johns. Richard, really good to rub shoulders with you. Um, it's nice been to, really it's enjoyable. It's nice to bounce off each other, Dan, and listen to other people's opinions and views, isn't it? I take a lot from yeah, this. Yeah, thing. absolutely. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, Richard, if you could hang around for two minutes when we've just finished now, because I just want to ask you something, uh, if you don't mind. But, uh, yeah. yeah, guys, thanks to everyone who's watched, left a comment, thumbs up, all that good stuff. And uh, we will see you for the 
next episode. Play the clip, play the clip, play the Podcast Network.